And, and that's what Paul is essentially saying. And what's happened is that Christians meeting together, what started well in the early church of Christians meeting together and having fellowship and sharing a meal and breaking bread and, and following the instructions of Jesus of taking communion together, it steadily has turned more selfish until now Paul, the Apostle Paul, basically has to write a letter like this. And um, I think it's important for us, as we've been talking about the Reformation the last couple weeks, that we remember that it's easy to drift, and it's not hard to get off of what Jesus instructed and what Scripture says unless we are constantly reminding ourselves and coming back to the Scripture. And uh, it, was, it was common for them as well. And it wasn't new in Paul's day. This has been going on, if you know the Old Testament, you know the people of Israel were always wandering uh, from the things and the ways of worship that God called them to. In Malachi 1.10, to use an Old Testament example, it gets to the point where the prophet Malachi, speaking for God, <laughs> this is God speaking through the prophet, he says, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. So again, you, you come on a Sabbath day to worship at the temple, and this is what the prophet has to say. And uh, so it's a wake-up call that, that God has given us instructions on how to worship, and God and Jesus has given us a way of remembering and communion and that we have to take it seriously and just, and just meditate on it. So this is not a rebuke because I think we do communion very well. I'm uh, not rebuking our church at all or what we're doing today, uh, but just taking this Sunday to be cognizant that this is serious. This is important business. And uh, it would be uncomfortable to hear things from God's prophet or God's teachers and corrections like that, and so we don't want to do that. And so... As we take this communion today, as I said, I'm not preaching through it as a full sermon, but just sort of highlighting bits as we go along. And we're, cons- we're going to consider each part of our communion together as we go through it, what the instructions Paul gives the church in Corinth and why he's giving them and what communion is actually meant to be and what should be the motive of our heart in, community, in, in communion. And uh, again, as I say, not because I think we've drifted, but rather because we want to stay true to Scripture and we want to examine our own hearts and our own approach to communion. And uh, we want to engage the whole church together in this. So the first part um, that we'll just unpack a little bit is, is uh, uh, 18, verses 18 uh, to 19. And the first thing is on unity. So Paul says um, the first reason that we get together in communion, and one of the most important things for the church, is unity. And so he says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you might be recognized. And so the Apostle Paul's first observation here is that there is disunity in the church. So when he comes and he says, you guys are are not making things better, you're making them worse, and he's talking about the communion service, the first thing he realized when he he was there is that there was disunity in the church where there should be unity. There were divisions. And Paul says there's division, which is literally schismata or schisms or tears in the fabric of the church. And Paul says those tears are not meant to be there. When you gather together, there should be unity, not schisms, not tears. And he talked about these earlier in the book of Corinthians. He says you are still worldly in chapter 3. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? And are you not acting like mere humans? And so this is a problem in the Corinthian church, and he's trying to bring them back to the fact that this time of communion at the table is meant to be a time of unity and not division. He says, that isn't right. That's not how God's people are meant to act. And and you're actually acting that way in communion. 
people were showing up in little groups and sort of in little cliques with their favorite people. And uh, they were eating out of turn. So some people were showing up early and eating a lot to the point that Paul says they're getting drunk. <laughs> we'll see later on. And uh, then other people are showing up and there's no food left and, and they not really, they're not happy with the other people that were there before. So this disunity was there. And uh, they weren't leaving enough for each other. Now, the interesting thing here that I just want to draw attention to is Paul does say that he does expect some factions in the church, and he uses a different word there. The first word for unity was schismata, right, or schisms for disunity, and here he says hierasis, which sounds a lot like heresies, which is where you get that word. And so Paul is saying here, I just want you to understand this, that he says, I hear there's divisions among you, there's schisms, and there shouldn't be schisms. But he says there are heresies or factions among you, and there should be, because it will show those who are genuine that they be recognized. And so this is, what, again, we talked about recently on these services on the Reformation and these, these talks on the Reformation, is that, that we understand that there is meant to be unity in the church, in the fabric of the church, but there will be people who do not follow the teaching of Scripture, even among the church. There will be tares among the wheat. There will be wolves in sheep's clothing. And Paul's just acknowledging here, it's like, yeah, there will be points of disunity because the genuine Christians will always stand apart from those who are pretending. And so Paul's not talking about that, though. He just puts that in there to say, I understand there will be differences and right differences, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about these schisms. I'm talking about unity in the church. And so when we come to communion, then, it's a time to think about unity. Paul says, we should be thinking about ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ, right? I get it that there's people who sit on the left side and there's people who sit on the right side, right? And then there's those weird people that sit in the middle. They can't make up their mind which side they want to sit on, right? But but we get into those situations in a family as large as ours where there's disagreement, right? Where there's disunity, where there's schisms, where there's tears in the fabric, And Paul says communion is not the time for those. Communion is the time for unity. Communion is the time when we examine ourselves and what we do believe. It's a time for us to set aside our preferences and set aside our differences. And what burdens, we think about what burdens we can bear for our brother or our sister. And I think most effective in this for us as a church in unity is at this time we're meditating on what we agree upon. We agree upon the gospel. We agree upon the righteousness of God. We agree upon the gift of the Son, the comfort of the Spirit, the authority of Scripture, and all of those things. And so when you're coming to communion, Paul is saying there's unity in all these things. And so as a church, as a church family, we want to respond to communion in that way in pursuing unity. And so our first response to this teaching then is a congregational, a responsive reading. And uh, just put up the next slide there. And uh, the parts that are in bold are yours, and the parts that aren't in bold are mine. And so as I read and introduce it through Ephesians 4.3, you'll respond with the bold, and we'll continue that way. And so Ephesians 4.3 says, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit through the bond of peace. So as, you, as you're approaching communion today, Uh, Just in summary to that section on unity, just as you're thinking about brothers and sisters that are maybe sitting right here in the room that that, uh, you've had disagreements with in the past, or maybe that unity isn't quite the bond of peace that it should be, uh, I encourage you just to remember you're both brothers and sisters in Christ. You both have the same Savior, the same Spirit, and have the same faith. And so to unite yourselves in that unity of what you believe. Then Paul goes on, not just about unity, but the second part then becomes hospitality, and generosity and compassion and intercession for one another or mission. 
He says in verse 20, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? Just to be clear, no, I will not. He answers his own question. (laughs) I think we knew the answer. And so Paul, again, in this correction to the Corinthians and to what communion is about, he says it's about generosity and it's about hospitality and it's about compassion, right? There's a selfishness that's revealed in the Corinthian church and a lack of generosity and a lack of hospitality towards one another. Like I said, they're all eating at different times. Some of them are showing up early. They got a whole bunch of food. They're eating in their own little groups and other people are going without and they're not part of the circle. They're not part of the church family and others are excluded. And some are eating so much that they're getting drunk while others are hungry. And the communion meal, the, the church gathering, Paul's saying, this, this is not what it's meant to be. You're, you're misunderstanding what communion is supposed to be. It's, not, it's, it's a time for sharing. It's a time for compassion. It's a time for hospitality towards each other and to the community as well. And the key phrase there, in verse 22, it really hits home. He says to them, are you going to despise God's church? and humiliate the poor. It's essentially what Paul's saying there. Because that's what you're doing. When you act without hospitality, when you act without generosity, when you act without compassion, you're bringing a despising upon God's church, and you're humiliating those who have less than you. And Paul's pretty sure that's not what they intend, but that's what started to happen. And Paul's shocked. Because one of the greatest gifts that God has given his church, actually, as a testimony of who God is and God's love and who we are as a church is hospitality and generosity and compassion. When you think about what impact we can have on the world, or you think about the impact that the church has to those who come through our door, far and away, one of the first things they will talk about is the compassion, or the generosity, or the friendship, or the, just the welcoming that they found in the church. And when you look out at the world and they think of the church, They think of those things, have thought of those things, and we hope continue to think of those things. And so Paul says this is despising the church of God when your generosity and your compassion and your hospitality does not come through in your gatherings together. I mean, there's a good reason that churches have always been considered safe havens. It's why on just about any night in a major city you can find a warm meal, excuse me, in the basement of some church. It's why food banks and support services are run by churches. And Paul's basically saying this generosity, this hospitality, this compassion that is the heart of the church, of God's church, has to come through in your gatherings together. And so during communion, Paul is saying, we should be exemplifying that in the sharing that we do together and in our generosity and compassion, but we should be remembering our mission as God's church, who we are called to be in the compassion and the love and the generosity that we're to have. And so we have a a whole county on our doorstep as a church. As we read this and we think, okay, we don't want you know, the apostle to have this letter getting written to us at Lakeside, we realize that we have a whole county on our doorstep filled with families in poverty. And, and we talked about that poverty you know, a few months ago. It's not just a financial poverty. It's a poverty of spirit. It's a poverty of relationship. It's a poverty of friendship. There's a poverty of hopelessness out there. There's a poverty... Poverty shows up of of health. Poverty shows up in all kinds of different ways in our community. And you don't have to look very far in Halliburton to find poverty of any and all of these types of illness, 
poverty of hope, poverty of finances, poverty of relationships, poverty in marriage, just all kinds of poverty out there. And so when we're coming to communion here and we're at this table, we're remembering our mission and our county and the families out there that are trapped in all kinds of need. And we're to have a response to these people and give generously and to uh, be compassionate and be generous with each other. So I've been easing you into this slowly with the response of reading and me praying, but now it's coming to the time when you have an opportunity to respond. And um, the next reason that Paul gives in the correction uh, is worship and remembrance and proclamation. And so Paul says there's a reason that you're getting together to have this meal specifically, why you're having this communion meal. And he says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord that what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then, so that's the remembrance. And then he goes on to proclamation. He says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so starting in verse 23 there, this instruction we have on communion, it's important that we remember that that Paul isn't just making this up. This isn't just something that the church came up with, or this is some novelty of Paul's teaching. The instruction that we have here in communion when we're taking the bread and the cup is that it goes right back uninterrupted to the words of Jesus himself. This is what Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed. This is why we do this. This is not, again, something that the church made up. It's something that Jesus instituted. What we do at communion is what Jesus instructed us to do directly. And I think it's interesting, and I was reading this, just to notice how Paul describes the time that Jesus did this. He says, the night that he was betrayed. That's his description. So now when you think about it, Paul Paul could have described that night a lot of different ways, right? Paul could have said, on the night that Jesus ate the Passover with his disciples. Or he could have said, you know, on the night when Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room. Or he could have even said, on the night before Jesus' death. But Paul says, specifically, the night that he was betrayed. And then he quotes Jesus, do this in remembrance of me. And I think, well, I know that nothing that the Holy Spirit writes through his, <laughs> through his apostles is by accident. And so I think there's something there for us to remember. That Paul describes that night as the betrayal of Jesus so that we remember what it is that we're coming to the communion table about. Because Jesus was betrayed by his own creation. Jesus was betrayed by his own people. Jesus was betrayed by his own disciple, Judas. And the betrayal of Jesus, betrayed by his own creation, his own people, his own disciple, yet he still went to the cross for the creation and the people that would hang him there. And that betrayal is in us all. And we remember that without the cross first, we would be just as hostile. And so there's something here for us to remember. And so we respond in worship to what Jesus has set forth for us here in communion, remembering that we are the betrayers just as much, and that without Christ going to the cross, we would be just as hostile towards God as everybody else. And then he says, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
So Paul says, remember this about yourself and remember what Christ accomplished on the cross and did for us with his body and his blood and then proclaim it and that this communion service, what we do together here as a church is a proclamation to the world. As we remember that our betrayal was overpowered and overcome by the love of Jesus on the cross, our response is proclamation and worship and adoration because how can you remain silent when you remember that in the way that Jesus has set us out to remember it? And so we sing and we pray our worship and adoration and then we will serve the bread. But I think first of all, I'm going to have the prayer and then we'll have the song. Do I have the song or the prayer? Pray first. Let's do it that way. Okay. So as we're thinking about that, this is now your opportunity to respond to this teaching and to this reality of communion, of how the love of God has overcome. And so right now we just want prayers of adoration. And you can just pray wherever you're seated. Just, just pray prayers of adoration as we come to the Lord now and remember and worship him. I'll just have our servers come forward as we... Take the bread. Let me just pray for the bread. Father God, as we take this bread now, a symbol of your body that was hung on the cross for us, Lord, just help us to remember the unity, the compassion, the generosity, the mission, the thankfulness, the adoration that we should have for you, that you would go to the cross for rebels such as us. Before we loved you, you loved us. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Paul goes on here in 1 Corinthians 11. In verse 27, the the next thing that he talks about uh, is confession. And uh, one of the things that communion is for is to just be a time of meditation and pause. And that's kind of why we're slowing this whole thing down this Sunday is just to pause and remember and meditate upon these things. And one of the things is confession. He says in verse 27, Whoever therefore eats this bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. And then he goes on, that kind of hand in hand with that confession is our neediness for God and our neediness of life from God, almost like nourishment. He says in verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. So Paul is saying there's a requirement to confess, there's a requirement to examine ourselves, there's a requirement to make sure that we're approaching Christ and this communion time and fellowship together in the right heart, but that out of that confession and out of that examination, there's almost a nourishment. And, and that comes from the fact that if you're not doing it right, some, it says, are even weak and ill and some have died. And I don't have time to get into that today. Maybe that's another sermon. But the reality is that out of all the things that, that Jesus could have chosen as a symbol, of all the things that could have been how we remember his time on the cross, he chose a meal. He chose a Passover meal. It is by the very nature of the symbol nourishing And so when you're coming to communion, you're remembering that this is supposed to be a time of nourishment. This is a time of refreshment. This is a time of receiving from Christ and from God. And so that's what we do here when we come and take communion. We confess our neediness. We confess our weakness. We confess our need for God because without him, we are weak and we are ill and we would die apart from God.
but we have that need, and this is why we come and take this, this meal. And one of the other things, too, and why Paul is kind of so incensed about how they're treating communion is that we remember that this is a very unique and a holy time. Um, uh, in the more Anglican tradition, they'd call it a sacrament. Uh, in the Baptist tradition, we call it an ordinance. This is something that's ordained. And I just want you, for those of you that were here, to think back three weeks ago to Steve Archibald's uh, sermon on Jesus cleansing the temple. And this is, this is another uh, example of that, of how important holiness is to God and why he has given us this communion for confession and for remembrance and to get ourselves right for him. Because Jesus was clear about how important purity and holiness was, right? You remember when he was flipping over tables and driving the money changers out of the temple? And here Paul says again that holiness and purity is important to God. And so when you come to this communion table, you examine yourself and you set your heart and your, and your mind right with God. But that's not to say that because you feel you're weak or because you feel you've sinned this, this week that you're not to take communion. Communion is for sinners, repentant sinners, to come and be nourished by God and to receive nourishment. And so our response to communion is confession. And so I've given you some slips of paper there. And one of the things that I want to do here is, uh, and for sake of time, we'll just do this, is that as you're sitting there, I just want you to think for 30 seconds for a minute of something that you need from God or you need to confess to God or you need nourishment from God, you want to ask of God, and just write it down there on the piece of paper. Nobody's going to look at these, but if you want to write it in code, that's fine too. (laughs) But you just think about your own life right now and where you need nourishment where you need to confess your weakness, our, all of our weaknesses. And we really need to come to God and say, God, I need refreshing here. I need forgiveness here. I need nourishment here. And as you write those things down when you're done, I have a, a box up here. And so just whenever you're ready, you can come up here while we are singing and you can just drop your little slip of paper in this. And this is going to be our time of confession of our weakness and our neediness and our desire for nourishment at the communion table. And after we do that, then we'll take the cup. But the, the, the music team's going to sing, and as we're singing, you can just bring those slips up and just drop them in the paper and leave them at the cross and let God take them. You may be seated. I have my uh, servers come forward. So now we're going to take the cup of communion, which as we just sang, it was through the blood of Jesus that we have forgiveness. And so as we are taking this cup together, I just ask that you remember these things that you've confessed, these things that you've asked for nourishment. All these things are found at the cross of Christ. And so today, as you have spoken with your Father, you can know that that forgiveness is yours. Let's take the cup. So the final instruction that Paul gives in verses 31 to 32 is Paul's unpacking communion for them, and I've saved the best for last because I know you like this part, is restoration and salvation and thanksgiving. And so the apostle closes on an encouraging note. In all of this remembering, in all of this worship, in all of this confession and response is for a purpose. And it's in communion that we recognize and we remember what I just prayed, the very gospel, the message of the gospel. 
The good news that we will not bear the penalty of our sin, but that Jesus has come and overcome our betrayal. And he's loved us with a love even to the cross and bore our sin and shame and was resurrected as proof that God is faithful to this promise. And so Paul reminds us of that in 31 and 32. He says, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. He says, if you come to communion and you judge yourself truly and confess to God, you won't be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Paul says, this is the good news. Because of what has happened and what we're remembering here in communion, because of what Christ has done on the cross, we're not going to be judged and condemned along with the rest of the world. We have a promise that we will be found righteous before God. Now, he doesn't say that we're all going to remain unchanged. He says, in fact, that we will be disciplined. We will be matured. We will be instructed. We will be transformed. And we will be proven to be children of God in our, as we walk with God. Remember Hebrews 12, 6, it says, Because the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves, and he chastens everyone as he accepts as his son. And so as you go from today, if you've truly confessed to the Lord, or, or you've indicated a need for him, or there needs to be transformation in your life, or there needs to be change, or there needs to be a habit dropped, don't be surprised if the Lord does not discipline you, or chasten you, or mold you, because God loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. But then you're grateful at the end. Because God is slowly and surely completing a good work that he began in you. And so that's how we will not be condemned along with the world, but we'll be rescued by the work of Jesus on the cross. And that's what we remembered at communion. And so just in closing, before we sing our last song, and uh, I know you guys are good at this part, if we just take some time and, and, and pray some prayers of thanksgiving to God for his goodness, for his gospel, for what has he's done for us through the cross. Lord, I just thank you that your mercies are new every morning and that we, even as a broken people, can be counted as your sons and daughters. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.